Well, good morning. Working, uh, working as a pastor is a, it's an interesting job. Never something I, I thought I'd end up end up doing um, as an eighteen year old. Never saw this on the on the cards. It's an interesting job because um, God's got a funny way of just um, taking us down directions that we don't always plan. And I know for me, one of the things that like is at the core of me being good at my job is just being able to listen um, and 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 recognize and realize that I'm not in control. And uh, I've been preparing a, a series, a six-week series over the last few months. And um, I've been reading a lot and doing a lot of work on it. And over the last week and a half, God, was, I was sitting in a cafe about a week and a half ago and and God just said to me pretty clearly, like, this is not what we're going to do for the next six weeks. And I sat there and went, God, like, I've done a lot of work on this. I'd much prefer to do this, uh, do this series. And it's a good series and we will do it. Um, but God was, uh, God was really clear. He just had me looking at Isaiah 55 and just said, I want you to sit in this. And so what we're going to do over the next month, five weeks, six weeks, we're going to we're going to adapt as we go, uh, but we're going to look in Isaiah 55. We might jump into 56, 57, 58, but we're going to really sit in Isaiah 55. Um, today, we're going to look at this idea of thirsting um, after God. And um, Andrew just got up and shared about how these young guys who went away, they were thirsty. They were hungry, hung- hungering after God. And it's true. Like some of these young guys, they're just desperate to, to see God. They're desperate to know God. Um, and one of the things that can happen to us as we get older, and, and I am getting older, I'm starting to feel it. Um, so I don't know how people, I don't know how people like Sandra, who's turning 70 today, they must be feeling really old. But um but there's something about like like the world and life that can start to to take away that that thirst. That can start to harden us. Um, it can start to um, cripple us. It can start to to put doubts in our minds, and it can start to stop. It can it can begin this process where we start stop hungering, we stop questioning, we we stop thirsting, we stop investigating. One of the things I love about my kids, and a million things, but one of the things I love about them is that they're just, they're always questioning things. Um, one of the, th- one of the convictions that I have in raising my boys is I want to talk to them about heaven as much as I can. And so literally on a daily basis, we would have conversations about heaven. Um, C.S. Lewis has been really, um, taught me a lot about the, the idea that we need to, to think about heaven. We need to creatively think about what heaven is because the more we do that, the more it impacts our life and our, um, the way in which we live in the here and now. And so with my boys, I talk about heaven on a daily basis. And Eli, it's just beautiful, has started questioning all these things. Um, the other day, we, like he was questioning at night, what sort of animals will be in heaven? Um, he's questioning like what, what animals will he, will he get to ride? And so we had this discussion that, yeah, there's going to be lions in heaven. If you want to ride a lion, you can probably do that. He went to the, the fair the other day with his grandparents and I couldn't believe it, but they came home with the, all these tattoos all over their arms. It was just the proudest moment of my life. Um, but Eli's sitting there and we're lying in bed. I think he's about to go to sleep. And all of a sudden he just pipes up and just goes, hey, dad, will I have my tattoos in heaven? And of course, I said, of course you will. Like, yeah, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll survive. 
Um, but on a daily basis, he is questioning, like, what is heaven going to be like? What is going to be happening for me in heaven? And he's just always, in, he's inquisitive. He's got this idea of heaven. We've been talking about what it's going to be. And he's just questioning on a daily basis the practicalities of what that looks like. What we're going to look at today is this idea that as followers of Jesus, we need to thirst and hunger after God. We need to seek after him. Um, we need to chase after him with everything that we have because he needs to be the point of our attention and the point of our affection. And when he is, everything else falls into place. But one of the problems is in our noisy and chaotic and busy lives where we like to be in control, we can begin this process where we stop thirsting and hungering after him, where he becomes another part of our lives, a compartment of our lives, where we know he is important. We know that following after him is an important thing to do, but he's just another compartment in one in the areas of our lives. And what I want to go through today and what we're going to look at in Isaiah 55 is that we as followers after him, no matter how young or how old we are, he needs to be the object of our attention. And when we thirst after him, when we hunger after him, everything else falls into place. So we're going to look at Isaiah 55 verses 1 to 3 today. And it says this, it says, come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters and you who have no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without honey and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear to me, come, give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. Would you guys pray with me? Father, we come before you humbly today and we just want to thank you that you are good. We want to thank you that you're a God that loves us. You want, we want to thank you that you're a God that is just incredibly generous. Father, we as a community and as a family just stop. And Father, we want to thank you that your spirit is present amongst us. We want to thank you that where your spirit is, there is life and there is fullness and there is joy and there is peace and there is hope. So Father, I want to pray that we as a people would experience those things this morning, that we would experience your spirit. And as Dan led us in, that we would be a people who think really deeply, but Father, we would be a people who worship with our hearts and our minds, where we would engage with you and we would allow you to take over our hearts. Father, we thank you that your word is rich. We thank you that your word is relevant. We thank you that this passage that is over 3,000 years old is just as relevant today as when it was first written. And so, Father, we just thank you that you have all authority and we Thank you that you use that authority to speak life into us. And so, Father, we just come before you and just just pray that you would do exactly that. In your name, amen. Isaiah 55 verse 1, Come all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Who's heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Most of us in here. So Maslow um, came up with this hierarchy of needs that you'll see. It's in a, in a nice little triangle. 
And essentially, he, he has these, um, these five categories that is, as human beings, we, we, um, are driven by. And so if we look at, say, the top of this triangle, um, the goal that when, when everything is falling into place, when things are going really, really well, when these things are all done in the right order, um, we get to this point at the top of the triangle, which he calls self-actualizing. And by that, he means it's when you reach your full potential. So, for instance, when you're in a job that you're flourishing in, when you're in a relationship that you're flourishing in, um, it's when everything else kind of falls into place and, and this is the, the result of that. Um, the, the level below that is when we, when we um, have our esteems, the, the areas in our life in regards to esteem that are met. So, for instance, when we have feelings of self-worth met, when we have feelings of self-esteem met, um, when we feel respected, when we feel recognized, um, this is the category of needs that we have in, in that green section. The category below that he, he told finds is love and belonging. So there are social needs. So there are needs for belonging and love and affection, family, friends, companionship, things that bring us so much joy, things that bring us so much meaning. Below that, in, in his order of needs, um, is safety and security. And, and this is about keeping us from harm. So this is the idea that as human beings, we need shelter, we need job security, we need health, we need to be in safe environments. And if we don't feel safe, we will seek to find safety before we attempt to meet any of the higher needs. Um, the the, uh, the category at the bottom is physio physiological needs. And, and Maslow... Um, talks about the idea that we need to deal with this area. We need to have our physiological needs met um, before we're able to concentrate on any of the areas above. And so, for instance, this is the, the vital things that are there for our survival. Um, air, food, sleep, water. Everything is secondary until these things are met. So according to Maslow, our physiological needs need to be met before we can progress up the pyramid. We've got River, he's 18 months old, and he wakes up super grumpy. Um, and the first thing, the first thing we have to do with him is we have to feed him. If he doesn't get his wheat bix in the morning, he's just a mess. And like our lives just, they don't operate until he, um, he gets his wheat bix in the morning. Um, he, he gets this pyramid. He's, he's 18 months old, but he's a switched on kid. He gets this pyramid. Um, the, the idea is that these needs, they grab our attention in order. And Maslow has this thinking where, and we get it, don't we? Like he has this thinking where these needs need to be met in a certain order before we're able to progress to the others. If we don't have food, if we don't have water, that takes the, the attention off uh, to us. Um, and we focus on that above everything else. We can survive without water for what? A few days. Um, we can't survive without water for long. So the idea is that if we don't have water, we, that becomes our goal. That, that's what drives us. That grabs our attention. We live in a time where if we want water, we go into, um, go into the sink, turn on the tap and bang, we've got water. Um, we live in a very privileged time in all of, all of history. Um, but the idea in this is that these needs grab our attention in a certain order. And so in verse 1, we're coming to this passage in a privileged time in 20, 2018. Um, we're coming to this passage where Jesus is saying, in, the writer in Isaiah is saying, 3,000 years ago, verse 1, come, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. We don't get thirsty very often. Um, yesterday, I, I love water. Absolutely love water. 
I stopped drinking soft drink about five years ago because I just decided that water was just so much better. Um, I drink probably six liters of water a day. I absolutely love it. Um, and yesterday I had a really interesting day for me because usually I carry this water bottle around, big two liter water bottle. I love it. It's my, my really good friend. And yesterday I had a day where I, I didn't bring my water bottle. And for me, that's a big deal. And I went through the day and I barely drank any water. I got to the end of last night and I just, I had this migraine. I felt awful. Um, and I just hadn't, I hadn't drunk water. And I had this day where I was, I was thirsty. I was dehydrated all day and my, um, physiological needs, they weren't met. Like I hadn't been looking after myself. We live in a time where it's so easy for us to get water. We rarely get thirsty. But when we do, we know how good that water tastes. We know how much we need it. It's a basic need that grabs, completely grabs our utter attention. Everything is secondary until we quench the thirst. So we know what this verse is saying. We know this verse is not talking about physiological needs like Maslow is talking about here. When when we're, we're reading in verse 1, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. We, Isaiah isn't talking about this physiological need that we have. We know that he is talking about this spiritual longing that we have in our hearts um, for God. He is saying, come all who are thirsty in spirit. There is this theme throughout all of scripture that Jesus picks up. Come all who are thirsty. In Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, it says, we have been created with eternity in our heart. And Lewis goes on to talk about uh, this idea. He says, if we find in ourselves, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And we come here today as physical beings, but we come here today as spiritual beings as well. We come here today as people who are thirsty. In Matthew 5 verse 6 in the Beatitudes, an incredible passage of scripture, Jesus says to us, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And God has had my attention on this idea over the last few months, just really, really heavily. Blessed are those who hunger and who thirst for righteousness. Now, righteousness is really simply this idea of being right with God. And so it means that we as human beings are made right with God, but it also means that God is is making the rest of the world right with him the renewal of all things. And he wants to bring the world into righteousness. He wants to bring every single aspect of this world into righteousness to be right with him. And so really simply, God is telling us to seek first the kingdom of God, seek first the kingdom of heaven above all else. And to do that, the way we do that is that he is to be the the focus, the absolute focus of our attention, that he is to be the focus of our affections and our emotions. And when he is, everything else falls into place. Come all who are thirsty. In John 4, we read this um, this exchange between Jesus and the woman at the well. And in verse 14, 10 to 14 of John 4, um, we read this. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a wellspring of water, welling up to eternal life. 
And really simply, the gospel, Jesus' message, who Jesus is, the spirit that lives within us, Jesus is telling us that when we have the spirit, when we have the gospel, when we know Jesus, when we're in relationship with God, we will never thirst again. That he is the wellspring of our life. That everything flows out of that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. The fruit of the Spirit is an overflow of the fact that we have this wellspring of life, the living water living within us. And so we know that the gospel, the heart of the gospel is this idea that we will never thirst again because we know where the wellspring of life is. We know the truth. We know where to go. We know where to turn. We know that the Spirit lives within us. And when the Spirit lives within us, what that means is that God in all His authority, in all His creativity, in all His majesty is literally living within us. And so what John, what Jesus is saying to this woman by the well who is hurting, who is in desperate need, who is thirsty, he is saying, come to me. And when you come to me, you will never thirst again because I am the wellspring of life and I'll overflow that wellspring of life into you. But then we're told in Matthew 5 verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. And the idea is that we know that in John 4, Jesus is saying, if you come to me, if you drink the water that is me, you will never thirst again. But when we taste that water, we know that nothing else can possibly satisfy us like that water. And Jesus is telling us in the Beatitudes that blessed are those who seek righteousness. Blessed are those who seek and and do everything they can to seek after this water, to seek after being after this water, this satisfaction, to seek after this bread. Blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness. And the idea in this is although we have been completely satisfied in God, what Jesus is saying to us is that we need to be a people who are constantly longing after him. We need to be a people who are constantly seeking after him, desiring him above all else. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the renewal of all things through Jesus. For the renewal of our lives, for the renewal of our family's lives, for the renewal of our community in which we live, the world in which we live, for the renewal of creation itself. Blessed are those who long after him, who seek after him, who desire his things, his heart for the world above all else. And really simply, like the question that we have to ask ourselves, is this the posture that we came to this morning with? Are we longing after God? And this is not just like a mental thing as Dan talked about. This is an emotional engagement that we have with God. Are we longing after God above all else? Are we seeking after him above all else? Is our greatest desire that the kingdom of heaven would be ushered in on a daily basis? Is that what is grabbing our attention, our affections above all else? Is that what our daily posture is? Through the mundane, through the trials, through success, through comfort. Do we have this posture like a child where we are thirsting and seeking after him above all else? When we go through the mundane, is it our natural posture to sit there and wrestle with God? Because what this means, it's not about always being ridiculously happy. 
it's not about always having putting this face on where everything is all, all good. We know that is not what it looks like to follow God in all seasons of our life. But we do know that throughout Scripture, what it means to follow God and what it means to thirst and hunger after Him is to engage with God. When we're in the mundane, when we're in the flat, when we're struggling with God, what this is asking is, are we thirsting and hungering after him above all else? Are we wrestling with God like Jacob? Are we being like David in the Psalms where he is coming before God and saying, God, I can't feel you. I can't see you. I don't know where you are. I don't know why you're allowing these people to flourish over me. I don't know why you let people who are evil be successful in this life. What David is doing in the Psalms constantly is he's wrestling with God. And as he does that, he's thirsting and hungering after righteousness. As we come here today, are we people who are passionate? Are we people who are putting him above all else? And by, by that, I really simply mean, are we thirsting and hungering after him above all else? Through the times that are really tough, through the times that are really easy, through the times when we feel him and through the times when we don't, are we thirsting? Are we hungering? Are we desiring above all else that his kingdom would be glorified in this world above all areas of our lives? Come, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. It's this invitation. Come. It's really simple. Come to the waters. It's the same thing he said to the disciples. Come follow me. All the disciples had to do, all it means to follow Jesus is literally just to follow. We have this like mentality and we're really, really um, control. We're really stuck in this, I think, a lot of the time in our faith, but we like to control. We like to be in control. We're really good at when we're flat. We're really good at when we're trying to follow God. Um, and we, we're trying to put everything in order. We're really good at trying to answer a lot of the questions ourselves. We're really good at trying to fill ourselves. And what Jesus is saying here is all he's asking you to do is come, come to him, thirst after him, hunger after him, hunger after the kingdom of heaven above all else. This is not about doing. This is not about control. This is about just trying to crave his heart above all else. Our basic human need is to be in relationship with God. And everything else flows out of that. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. When we put Jesus at the very core of our lives and we seek after him above all else, everything else falls into place. It's our highest need. Verse 1 goes on to say, And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine, come buy milk without money and without cost. And this is why it is called the good news. This is what the gospel is. This is Isaiah. This is written so, so far ahead of Jesus coming. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. 
come by wine, come by milk, without money and without cost. This is not how our culture operates. One of the things, one of the lines, I hate this line, but one of the lines I hear a lot is there's no such thing as a free lunch. We live in a society, we live in a culture um, that in many ways uses and abuses. Far too often you are seen for what you can do, you are seen for your skill set, you are seen for how you can be used, how you fit in to something, what you offer. It's very much about what you do, not who you are. We've spent 10 weeks looking at this series on identity, looking at how God views us. But we live in a culture and we live in a society that values so often what we do, what we can accomplish, what we bring over who we are. And you combine that with a culture that we talked about that is dying of isolation, that is lonely, that is filled with sadness. And you have a terrible, terrible combination going on in the culture in which we live. And we know that God doesn't operate like this. Because we know that God sees us for who we are, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And he wants to create a wellspring in our life that overflows for the kingdom of heaven into our world so naturally. The gospel is good news. It is not about what we do. It is about who he is and what he has done for us. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. Because we are people of grace and we know that grace tastes really, really good. We know, we have experienced how good grace is. We know what it means to be satisfied in God. We know that that is the greatest thing that this world, in this world and in our lives. And yet so often we're distracted by so many things. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. I want to go through a story um, as we finish today. And it's a story of grace. And grace can't be bought. And the thing I love about verse 1 of Isaiah 55, it is saying, come buy wine, come buy milk without money and without cost, because we do not have the currency to be able to buy these things in the kingdom of heaven. And what grace is, is is this story in all its fullness. And if you've got a Bible, turn open to Luke 23. And this passage of scripture is, is one of my fa- absolute favorite passages of scripture. So let me read it for us. In Luke 23. Starting in verse 32, we read this. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. And so we have this, this, this moment in history and this moment as followers of Jesus that we know is absolutely pivotal to our faith. We have this moment in history where Jesus has carried his cross um, here to, to the skull and he's carried his cross and he's with two companions, with two criminals. 
And the scene is set where all the soldiers are mocking Jesus. You've got this guy who has claimed to be the savior of the world. You have this man who has claimed to have all this authority. The soldiers may have seen, but they've definitely heard about the miracles that Jesus has performed. And so you have this scene where the the soldiers have put Jesus on a cross and they are mocking him. We're told they're sneering at him. They are laughing at him. And they ask a really relevant question, a pertinent question. And they abuse him in a really pertinent way. If you are who you say you are, just come down from the cross. You saved others. Why can you not save yourself? And there is this momentum that is going on amongst the crowd where they are looking at Jesus, where the soldiers are looking at Jesus and they are, they are scoffing at him. They are laughing at him. Here is this miracle man. Here is this man who could help others and yet he's there on the cross dying a criminal's death. And this is my favorite story in all the world. It really is. There were two men that were crucified with him on that day. And the first man that is, um, is crucified with him says this, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and save us. The man just sat there hurling insults at Jesus, we're told in verse 39. So as the king of kings is crucified on this cross, he has a man next to him who is just hurling insults, another criminal, or a criminal, hurling insults at Jesus as he is dying for the sins of mankind. You have a man sitting there just absolutely laughing at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and save us. And in verse 40, we then read about this other man. And I love this exchange. I love this story. In verse 40, it says, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Here you have another man crucified with him. This is not two men who are crucified for stealing bread. This man is acknowledging that he has been crucified. He has been um, killed in one of the most torturous ways mankind has ever been able to come up with. And his conclusion is that he deserved to get this punishment. We don't know what this man did, but what, what he would have done must have been pretty severe for him to be sitting there on that cross saying, I deserve to be hung up here. You have this man who is turning to this other man, this other criminal who is mocking Jesus and saying, don't you know who this man is? We are here because we deserve to be here. But this man, he has done absolutely nothing wrong. The exchange of conversation between two criminals who deserve to be on on these crosses. And in verse 42, we get the gospel. Then he says to Jesus, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Here you have this man that deserves to be on the cross. We don't know what he's done. But he has absolutely nothing to offer Jesus. He has absolutely nothing to offer. He is on this cross absolutely helpless. He is at the end of his life. No one cares about him. 
And you have this exchange with Jesus where he turns to Jesus and with this one sentence, he says to Jesus, remember me when you go into your kingdom. And Jesus turns to him and says, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. This man did nothing to earn it. He did nothing to deserve it. The only thing he did was focus on Jesus. The only thing he did was thirst. Here is a man, here is a criminal getting what he deserved on the cross. And yet, in one simple exchange with Jesus and with another man, he is in heaven for all eternity. This is grace. This is grace upon grace. With one simple exchange, this man experienced the living water. The only thing that this man did was come to the water because, geez, he was thirsty. He had nothing to offer. Absolutely nothing. There was no skill set that he was offering. There was nothing that he was doing. His resume, his CV in this life would have been absolutely horrible. And yet here you have this man who comes in faith before God and says, remember me when you go into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. This is what the gospel is. It is not about what we do. It is about who we focus on. And it is about what Jesus has done for us. We are to be people who thirst and hunger after righteousness above all else. We are to be people who are people of grace. And this is what grace is. That he loves us. That he sent his son for us. We are not saved by what we do. We are saved by what he has done for us. This was a man who was parched. And this was a man who received living water. In one simple exchange of the heart with Jesus, he receives heaven. This is what the story of the prodigal son is all about. We are people of grace. That is what this water is. In Isaiah 55, when, when it's talking about come to the water, come you who are thirsty. The water is literally grace. And as followers of Jesus, all we are told to do is thirst and hunger after righteousness. So one of the questions I want to leave with us today is, are we thirsting and hungering after this grace? Are we experiencing this grace on a daily basis? This is not about what we do. This is about what the Spirit is doing in us. This is about what Jesus is doing in us. And we are called to have this childlike faith where we open ourselves up and allow him to take control. Because when we are in control, our life goes well off course. We are people marked by grace. Isaiah 55, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. That is what this story is all about. Come buy and eat and enjoy wine, enjoy milk without money and without cost because it's all been paid for you. That's what grace is. You can't afford it. I can't afford it. But grace is this different currency which we have been given. And one of the things that we want to do is look at where we're going as a community. 
what it looks like for us to have vision and, and how we move into that. And all I want to do today is just sit in Isaiah 55 and say the vision for us as a community is that we would be a people who just enjoy and experience God's grace. Because if we are people who are marked by grace and who know that grace and who overflow with that grace, that is the one simple answer that our community needs. When every single person walks into this community center, when every single person walks into this place, we get over 3,000 people a week. The thing that they need above all else is grace. They need to be involved in a family, in a deep community of people who love each other deeply because we are marked by grace above all else. Because we have a different currency than the world has. If we want a vision for this center and if we want a vision for us, it it would be that we are a people who thirst and hunger after what God thirsts and hungers after. That we would be a people that are passionate in the way in which we worship during the week and we worship on a Sunday. That we would be a people who are passionate about God above all else because we know what it means to drink the living water. We know what it means to not have to thirst. We know what it means to experience his grace and his joy and his happiness and fulfillment on a daily basis. And when we are experiencing that water, when we are experiencing that grace, when we are experiencing the spirit in our minds and in our hearts, in all of our beings, it is the most contagious thing in the world. When we believe, when we are people of faith, people look at us and go, There is something about them. It is the reason that I came to faith. When I'm 16 years old, a man named Joel Febri is walking up this path at Pacific Hills Christian School, and I sit there and I I look at him, and I knew this guy. I knew who he was. I knew how he lived. I knew that he was so different, and I looked at him, and the reason I was so attracted by the way that this guy lived is because he believed. He had this faith that I didn't have. He had this trust that I didn't have. And at 16, in a maths class, I looked at this man and I go, I have to have what he has. There is nothing more contagious than when we believe. There is nothing more contagious than when we live as people of faith. The problem is we like to control so much and it breaks us. This passage is simple. Come. Come, all who are thirsty. Come to the waters. Let me pray for us. Father, we just want to thank you that you are the living water. We want to thank you that you are the answer. Father, you have instilled eternity in our hearts. And Father, I just want to thank you that you are the only answer. Father, I want to thank you that you have gifted us this grace that you have given us not what we deserve, but you have given us yourself. I want to thank you that you have gifted us your spirit. I want to thank you that we have this wonderful counselor living within us. And so, Father, I just want to pray that as we go into this week, that we would be a people who just thirst and hunger after you. I want to thank you that we have been satisfied in the deepest way possible, that our happiness and our joy is just completely found in you. But Father, I want to pray that in that we would desire you more than we are. I want to pray that we would seek you more than we are. And Father, we need help in that. So Father, I want to pray that you would guide us this week, that you would counsel us in that this week. 
Father, help us to be a, a church. Help us to be a community of people who just desire you above all else. And Father, help us in our unbelief. And Father, we thank you that you're good. In your name, amen.